This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. This week on React Podcast, we get to sit down with Jamin Holmgren. I wanted to ask him about the Chain React event, an event dedicated specifically to React Native. I thought it'd be fun to ask him what the inspiration is for planning an event like this, some of the things that go on behind the scenes, and how putting on a conference is valuable to his company, Infinite Red. We talk a little bit about the differences between a product company and a consultancy and why he decided to go the consultancy route. If you're an entrepreneur, this is going to be a really great episode for you to see these two distinct paths and see some of the things involved in developing a successful consultancy. Jamin is a great role model in balancing community and business. Now, before we jump into the episode, I want to tell you about something fun I'm doing in the month of May. Once each week, we'll do a live workshop covering a critical piece of React knowledge. First will be modern JavaScript, followed by function components, hooks after that, and composition. My goal is that if you've been listening to the show feeling a little bit like an outsider, that you can quickly come up to speed with all of the jargon and stuff necessary to listen to this show. It's going to be super fun. Each event will be like a couple hours. You'll be able to ask questions and there are no dumb questions. So I hope you'll join. To sign up for more information, visit reactpodcast.com slash news and you'll get all the updates in your inbox. I hope to see you there. Now into the show. Jamin, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Michael. It's really nice to be here. I am so excited to have you on the show. After hearing you on uh, Second Career Devs with Kyle Shevlin, I was like, "Oh man, I have to get, mm-hmm. I have to get Jamin on the show. We need to talk about uh, Chain React. We need to talk about like what he's doing, how he got there, because I feel like we have a lot of career similarities." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm actually really interested to hear about your similarities because you've listened to my podcast now, but I haven't listened to yours. So, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, it'd, it'd be really cool to to hear about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have I I have I have some questions prepared. Uh, I think we'll be able to learn a lot about each other uh, in, in this call. Nice. So the first thing I have I have a ton of questions, but first of all, I just kind of want to ask you about Infinite Red. Uh, I want to ask you about kind of what that is. Yeah. What it is that you do. Um, obviously, this is your company. What's your ongoing yeah. role there? Um, just tell me a little bit about Infinite Red. Yeah, absolutely. So. I actually ran a consulting company by myself for about 10 years. I started in 2005 and and went until 2015. Um, And it got to be a little too much to run just by myself. I had about 12 employees, I want to say. And it was just, you know, we started just doing websites and web apps and things like that. Uh, And I I hired a lot of juniors and and taught them myself. Um, And then I met at a conference down in San Francisco. I met my eventual two co-founders, Ken Miller and Todd Worth, and uh, so we we ended up merging our companies in uh, late 2015, and so it's been around. We've been around, I guess, for about three and a half years now, and um, we have. Uh, we're essentially a uh, we're a mobile app okay. and web app uh, design and development consultancy. Um, so we have uh, around 20. I want to say 23. Uh, maybe up to like 29 if you count contractors, uh, people. And we have three teams. We have a design team and we have a front end team that does React and React uh, Native. And then we have a back end team that does all kinds of things, you know, 
uh, Rails and Node and Crazy. even some Elixir. Um, and uh, we kind of divided up that way. We used, we used to have like a web team and a mobile team, but React and React Native have kind of uh, flipped that on its head. <laughs> <laughs> so now we have a front-end team and a back-end team. Nice. So how many of your projects would you say are like the whole thing, like you're doing the whole thing start to finish, front and back, yeah. um, versus maybe building a mobile app for an existing backend? Right. Yeah. Um, we do probably just under half are kind of okay. all the way through, you know, starting with design and, and building it all, uh, completely from start to finish. And I think that's where we really like provide the most value because like our team has worked together for, for many years. And uh, even going back to my previous company, I brought a lot of them with me. Um, so uh, that, that's, I think, but it's just under half. Um, and then we work, you know, we embed with other teams. We, we work, uh, we work on existing projects. Um, you know, uh, we'll work with existing backends, all of that uh, for, for probably maybe up to about 60% of our work is, is like that. Interesting. Now you do training as well. Is that right? Yeah, we do. Uh, we do on-site training. We tried online training for a little while um, and haven't quite figured that out yet. <laughs> it's it's just a different experience, uh, but we do on-site training, which is really cool, mm-hmm. um, mainly with React Native right now, uh, but we have some other, other options as well. Cool. Now this is something that I actually didn't put together uh, for a really long time, but like consultancies do like kind of like We'll do that like ground up work like you know hey like you have an idea like we're going to build it all the way up from scratch but also i think you mentioned embedded uh work could you describe that to me a little bit because that's something that i don't think about a lot right yeah so uh a lot of times there are you know companies who they already have a team they already have a design and development team um but they lack you know either just purely kind of the the, the, the firepower, the, the amount of people to get it done, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe a particular expertise. Uh, so we're really known for our React Native stuff, and we will be brought in uh, to do that. For example, we did a, a project for a company called Uship out of Austin, Texas. Uh, they're a great company. Um, but they, they had a bunch of web developers, uh, but they didn't have a mobile team. Gotcha. Uh, and their their mobile app really needed to be updated. So we we actually did a training with them. Uh, and then we, uh, you know, to kind of bring their web developers up to speed on what React Native was. They, they knew React really well, but not React Native. And then our team has basically worked with theirs pretty closely, like their API team, their QA team, their design team, product team. Um, and we are essentially their, like their mobile team. Yeah. And... Now, as we've kind of, as that project is drawing to a close, they're starting to onboard some of their developers okay. uh, and replacing ours, which is totally fine with us. Like that's, that's a good business model for us. If they come back and they're like, Hey, we have another app to build, um, you know, we already have a relationship and we can, you know, go jump in and, and, and work on that. Interesting. So, so this is a way for companies to start flushing out an idea, maybe without having to build out the team first. Yeah, it is. And, uh, because Obviously, building a team is really hard right now. Yeah, yeah. Like, like <laughs> finding developers is very hard, uh, and also finding expertise, and then just finding a team that has already worked together and kind of has a cohesiveness yeah. and a process and all those things. There's a lot of value in that. So I kind of liken it to kind of just a, like a spigot you can turn on and like get the water you need, and then turn it <laughs> off when you're when you're done. Like, yeah, no problem. Yeah. It, we're not locking you into a very long contract or anything like that. It's it's very on demand. Um, and uh, you pay a little more than you would, you know, like an on-site, 
like employee, but not that much more. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's uh, especially when you consider the the lower risk because you yeah. know if the project doesn't work out, you just say, okay, we're done. <laughs> no um, or when it's done, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I imagine also a value to to companies in this setup is being able to hire people who are already experts in a thing, as opposed to trying to. Con- I know that a lot of times. Um, I've consulted with companies just on kind of like overseeing some of their React stuff. Yeah. And you're like, oh man, this is, this was obviously written by someone who is learning all this stuff for the first time mm-hmm. and has a lot of baggage yeah. from, you know, whatever your backend framework is, because right. this yeah. is not <laughs> at all looking like stuff that most React developers would write. Yeah, totally. That's kind of the idea is that we can, we can jump in and we've done, you know, you know, dozens of these types of apps before we've, uh, we've worked together, uh, for a long time on it and we have, we've sort of, it's, it's sort of like, like there are dragons there, but we've encountered pretty much all of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And we, we know what it's about. And, and even if a particular developer hasn't, they have access to a broader pool of infinite red engineers who probably have, or can at least jump in and, and help them. So that's kind of the, the benefit of, of using a consultancy. It's one of those things where like, like our biggest competitor isn't really other consultancies. It's, mm-hmm. you know, someone deciding to do it in-house yeah. rather than, than doing it as a consultancy. So uh, we're hyper aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> that is something we, we definitely know, you know, it's, it, it, it is an option and that's fine. Like sometimes, sometimes that's the best thing. Now, when the developer market is really tight, like you can't find developers that that helps us yeah. because it's like, I can't find anybody. I can't find anybody. Um, well, uh, let's see if a consultancy has, you know, any, any availability. Yeah. Do you like that style of work? Does it work for your personality or do you have days that you're like, man, I wish I, I wish I had started a product company. <laughs> uh, I do have days like that. <laughs> um, one example, well, very stark example of this is if we all decide to do a team on site or something like let's all get together and um and work on some other things that are just internal um in a consultancy if you don't work you don't get paid if you don't work for a client you don't get paid <laughs> yeah. uh and so that means that you know like we lose out on that revenue and there's no getting that back yeah um which tends to i, I think it, one of the interesting things is that it tends to turn consultancies into very kind of like you have these managers who are sort of eagle-eyed looking at the schedule and making sure they're filling in every available hole. They're trying to maximize the amount of revenue, which feels a little weird to me. Like I'm not, you know, when we started the business, we wanted to build something that we would want to work at. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I want to do is have some manager looking at every little tiny thing and saying, you know, why didn't you clock eight hours that day? You you only clock seven and a half. Like, come on, you know? So we try as, as hard as we can to avoid that you know, it's, it's, it's a natural sort of inertia that happens there or, mm-hmm. or momentum that sort of happens there. So you have to fight it all the time. Um, and, and clients will do it for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they will try, they'll, they, they will pay you very close attention to what you're doing. Um, that's not really our goal. Uh, I think in some ways we have a little bit closer to a product culture than we have a, yeah. a consulting culture. Um, but, but yeah, so, um, we have some ideas, you know, long-term that we'd like to do, uh, product wise, but, um, we're we're also one of those companies that kind of wants to stick around for a while. We we don't want to just be like, Hey, let's try this thing. And then we're out of business and we go try something else. You know, (laughs) that's not us. Yeah. Well, this is something that I've always admired about, um, consultancies like yours Mm -hmm. is that oftentimes you're on the front lines of a lot of, of you're on the front lines of like development, right? Like there's a lot Mm -hmm. of the kind of, uh, 
academic like thinking about like oh these could like solve these types of problems and you know right. libraries are built sometimes from this hobbyist academic type of mindset right um yeah but i've i've found personally that some of the most useful libraries to me have come out of consultancies because repeatedly they have seen an abstraction that would work across like a hundred apps not just one and that's that's really interesting I, I love that you brought that up because that's totally a core kind of thing for us. Um, we put out a lot of open source, like yeah. tons of it, uh, considering the size of our team, especially. Um, but one of our really kind of, I guess, core things with, with open source is we're not going to release something that's just academic. It's going to be something that we've actually used mm -hmm. battle tested on an actual project or two or three or 10. Um, and that has been a really good thing. So, um, you know, we started in the Ruby world. We were a lot, we did a lot of Ruby, mm -hmm. uh, and we released things that we had actually used on projects. We would develop them alongside the project just to kind of help us. And then we would release it and then, you know, use it on additional ones. Um, when we start a new project, we use Ignite, which is our command line interface for, uh, you know, creating new React Native projects. Uh, and so we use the boilerplate for that. And uh, if there's a problem, we're going to run into the problem too. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely something that, that we see. I think that it's sort of a trade-off in, like you get this, this exercise of spinning up new projects over and over and over. So you get really good at that. Um, as a consultant, you don't always tend to get a chance to do the deep diving, like sure. the like deep diving performance stuff that I see coming out of Facebook and, and Google and Microsoft and stuff where they have a chance to work on the same app for year after year and really kind of hyper-focus on things. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me a little bit more about Ignite. How does that differ from some of the, um, I think there's like Create uh, React Native app. Uh, how does it differ from that kind of tooling? Yeah, so um, I, I think... Uh, Primarily, it's a little more extensive. Mm -hmm. um, there's more to that stack. Uh, you know, we, we, we bundle more stuff in with it. But nothing goes in there unless we think it's going to broadly apply to all of our projects because we don't want to have to rip it out either. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> so you're going to get a state management system. In this case, we have uh, two boilerplates available, one with Redux and Redux Sagas, and then the other one uh, has MobX state tree. Cool. Um, and we implemented in our latest one TypeScript, so it's fully TypeScript. Uh, so there's there's sort of like it's infinite red opinions uh, put into the boilerplate, but it's also stuff that we need to be able to use across a broad spectrum of projects. We can't just like say this is our perfect app boiler boilerplate from heaven, and then you get into it and you realize you have to eject from everything. <laughs> um, so create React Native app, which is being replaced with uh, the Expo CLI. And there's also the React Native init uh, mm -hmm. CLI where you can just generate kind of a bare bones one. Um, the, both of those have a lot more narrow scope. Um, and then obviously Expo CLI has uh, a dependency on Expo, which heads you down a certain direction, which works for some people and doesn't work for others. So um, so essentially, uh, yeah, that's kind of the big difference. Um, and we have had thousands of developers use Ignite boilerplates. Um, we have a pretty thriving community around that. I think around 3,000 people right now. Uh, and so one of the other big benefits of, of using Ignite has been that we get this community where, like, if someone runs into a problem, then someone else is probably running the same problem because they're using the same stack. Yeah, that's awesome. So TypeScript is, is super hot right now. Sorry, you, you said TypeScript and then, like, my, my like, hype 
meter went off. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, what is um, the value that TypeScript is providing you um, as an agency and kind of how has that transition been, or a consultancy, um, how has that transition been for you moving from JavaScript to TypeScript for some projects? Yeah, um, it's gone really smoothly, actually. Uh, we We started using it, I want to say about this time last year. Uh, I think um, we started. So like with any project, what we do is we give the project leads some level of flexibility to to kind of trial balloon things. Mm -hmm. And one of our leads um, decided, hey, I'm going to try TypeScript on this project. And so they worked on it and the result was good. Yeah. The rest of the team on that project liked it. And so then we started rolling it out to the rest of the team. Um, we also, I, I actually converted over a couple other libraries. I, I don't tend to do a lot of React and React Native myself because my role as CTO, I tend to do a lot more supporting like tooling and stuff like that. Sure. And then I'll help, you know, where people need help. Um, so I work on Ignite. I work on a thing called Gluegun, which powers Ignite. Um, and I converted over Gluegun to learn TypeScript. TypeScript. I, I just use TypeScript uh, in Gluegun and I liked it a lot. And then um, just recently, actually, I'm not done with this conversion yet, but I, I started working on the Ignite CLI and I knew I needed to, so it was on like an old version of Gluegun and I knew I needed to get it up several new major versions up to the, to the latest. And I'm thinking this is going to be a pain, right? Like <laughs> taking it from zero point, like, you know, seven or yeah. something i don't even know it was like an old version all the way up to uh, uh three point something and um so i was like well i'll just use typescript and so i converted ignite cli over to typescript and then that gave me sort of the guardrails i needed to upgrade everything and that that was cool like like knowing that i that typescript had my back was was really helpful that's interesting so it kind of uh plays a similar role into tests because i always feel like yeah. tests give me that same kind of confidence of like okay as long as the test pass like i'm good uh it sounds like typescript's kind of giving you a little bit of a that same thing for the interfaces at least they were both really helpful uh the tests that we had we had pretty good coverage as well as just you know like like typescript was more immediate it was like hey you're not using the right api on this function call uh, you're, you know, not, not the right uh, function signature because it changed, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it changed in glue gun three. And, um, so that was really helpful. I didn't have to like run the test suite to, to figure that out. It was, it was very immediate. And then once it was passing the, uh, the compiler checks, then, then I got to fix all the tests, Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but those, those were a little more like, I didn't have to then find out from a test that I was using the wrong function signature. I already knew that I was using the right one. I just needed to find the kind of the business logic problems. Yeah. Um, so it sort of eliminated a class of errors. I, I was I was really happy with that refactoring. I'm almost done with it. I, I just need to get like a free day or two <laughs> to, to wrap it up and get it out as a as a beta. It's always that last like 5% of the work that is I know, just right? the worst. <laughs> it really is. I it's, I I swear it's like 95% done, but I've got some Windows bugs and things like that, so fun. We we always say in the office that oh yeah, like I'm to I'm 80% done with this thing. Yeah. I only have 80% left to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's too true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um that's that's really interesting. I had a similar experience working with TypeScript. Um, I had been using prop types, mm -hmm. and it was right around the time that prop types were kind of going the way of the dodo, or at least not not the recommended path anymore. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to try a project in TypeScript, just see how it goes. 
And that feedback loop for just like calling functions or using components with the right interface, like all that stuff, it just felt so much better than making the change, having to run the code, hope that I run the paths that actually surface the error. <laughs> and like it just, it, it felt nonsensical after moving just one part of my app to TypeScript. That's very true. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of consider myself a practical TypeScriptist. I don't, I'm, sure. I'm not a purist in any sense. Um, I'm perfectly happy to, like with Ignite, I, the first thing I did was just converted all of the, the file uh, extensions over to TS mm -hmm. um, because that already gave me some, you know, type inference and, and different, you know, like feedback right away. And then I just started sugaring things on and, and you get that feedback loop going and it's it's almost like, yes, it's extra work to add the types. Yeah. But the amount of benefit that you're getting from that, like it totally makes it worth it. So you're willing to do it. Um, and then sometimes it's like, I know what I'm getting here. I'm not all that worried about the types mm. in this situation. I've got good test coverage. I'm, you, you know, just shut up TypeScript. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Um, and it, there's varying, uh, there's varying opinions about this and, and they're valid. Yeah. Um, but that's just how I've approached it. Yeah. As a kind of pragmatic type script user, what are some of the things that, that you recommend people start with um, if they were to give it a try? Yeah, so I think the first thing is to, you know, set up some set up the build type uh, pi pipeline, uh, which, you know, is pretty easy to do, and then just convert your your extensions over to TS mm -hmm. and see if it builds. And if it doesn't, um, start kind of down the the rabbit hole of fixing the errors that pop up, and just learn the types well enough to do that. Mm. And if you run into a situation where it's like I can't figure out what's going on here i don't know how to fix this don't just beat your head against the wall or like figure you know you have to take some advanced typescript class it's okay to use any you can just drop it in there and then when it's building and it's working cool now let's start working on like a public api uh, uh you know typings that you can export and get that working so that people that are consuming your library or doing whatever with yours are, are fine and that will also lead you to type more things and add more types to things. Um, I find that if you just start heading down that path, uh, you will be led to a point where you have pretty good coverage across the the whole uh, library. I, I I like that approach myself. I've used it several times now with glue gun and ignite and and some internal like like internal projects that we have. Um, it's worked for me. Nice, nice. I, I like that approach too. And I think that some people do get hung up on like, oh, I, I need to do the whole thing. I need to do it right from the beginning. I don't want right. to ever use any. Um, and they forget that like everything that they type is, is like everything's any by default anyway. It is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so every little thing that they type is like, is better than they had before. We built software somehow with JavaScript <laughs> before. <laughs> and uh, it's still possible to do, you know, TypeScript... Uh, you can make a uh, completely just JavaScript thing using TypeScript uh, by typing everything with any, and then any benefit you add just brings you further down, you know, that route. Yeah. Um, I get it. Like I've had discussions, discussions with people online who say, you know, what, what good is a type system if it's not really going to ensure anything? Like if yeah. you can just sort of assert that anything is whatever. Um, and I get that, uh, but that's coming from a, you know, like if I'm writing Elm or something like that, mm -hmm. yeah, that's the direction I'm going. But if I'm, if I'm taking something that's JavaScript and just trying to get some benefit out of the TypeScript compiler, 
just just do it gradually <laughs> well, that's awesome that's solid advice i appreciate it um i want to change gears a little bit and come come back to um kind of how conferences play in uh to their infinite red strategy a little bit later but i want to just kind of shift gears and talk about you for a second yeah how did you get into programming and kind of what inspired you to move in the direction of starting consultancy yeah absolutely so uh <clears throat> i i i like my dad bought a computer um it's actually sitting right over there <laughs> no way uh, <laughs> still there it's a 286 um you know like ibm compatible uh pc uh my dad owned a, a company uh he was he owned like an excavation company and uh so he had like backhoes and dump trucks and things like that and he needed to track his books like he needed to do his books and we forget that back then everything was done like in a ledger like a you know piece of paper my dad is not the type of person that loves doing that sort of thing he'd rather be <laughs> right, right. he'd rather be out on the the backhoe you know he wants to be getting his hands dirty yeah exactly yeah. uh so he was like okay i gotta buy a computer i guess and so he bought a computer thinking this is gonna like fix all of his books and quickbooks didn't even run on it i think <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to use quicken which did exist back there and then like 1992 or three or whatever it was um I think it might have been 91, actually. And uh, so, but his, you know, 10-year-old son was like, hey, you know, uh, this is cool. And I started, like, messing around with batch files because they had set up, like, a menu that would pop up. There's no windows. And so I was like, how do I customize this this menu? Like, it has, like, one through five and none of my games are on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had to, like, edit the, the batch file. And I, like, ruined, you know, like, several games, like, trying to figure out how to make things make make things work oh man i i have totally done that i still feel <laughs> the emotional childhood pain of like having ruined parts of my computer and having to have someone come fix them absolutely i totally get that and but then my dad a couple of years later bought a 486 that did run uh quickbooks and that came with um qbasic and so qbasic was basically a full ide you know, plus interpreter, you could run and you could make just about anything you would, you'd want to do. Um, and so I just, I was, I just geeked out. I just, I made like hundreds of little games and stuff like that. And that was what I did. And my mom and dad somehow let me continue to do that. Um, and I made all kinds of really little, like silly little games as well as kind of fun things like replicating DOS. Like I just make my own version of it. So when you type in things, it would, you know, like, like, insult you and i just thought it was hilarious <laughs> um <laughs> things like that and so i i was just kind of a hobbyist programmer i made a lot of little games and then um i kind of took a de detour i talk about it a lot <clears throat> in kyle's uh podcast um but eventually uh started my own business and started making websites and that was uh i bought a book on php and mysql and and uh javascript was it this book that looks PHP and my sequel for dynamic websites by Larry Ullman. You know what? Um, it, it very well could be. <laughs> there uh, were a couple it of It was them. something like that. And I wanted to pull mine off the shelf in case it was because yeah, I, I, I have very fond memories of this. Because it was both together like that. It might have been that book. I... <sighs> It's been a while now. It's been 15 years since I did that. Uh, 
It very well could be. I don't think I have my book anymore. Uh, I don't think it survived. I remember like a yellow and black cover. Okay. It might have been something else. Um, I'm going to have to dig that up. There were a couple of them because it was hot right then for, for a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I I learned that um, and built some websites and stuff. And then uh, people started asking me, can you do like more than just a website? Can you make a web app? And I started making web apps with php mysql and jquery okay. uh the jquery was really hot and then uh built built a bunch of stuff there and then i discovered ruby on rails um built a bunch of stuff there and then then moved into mobile with objective c uh and a, a library called ruby motion which was hot for a while i used that uh and that kind of got me into um uh, you know ios development and then uh yeah that, and then when we started uh infinite red in 2015 uh my role changed a lot i became the chief operating officer mm-hmm. for a couple of years so i was really more focused on that and i didn't spend as much time in the tech but now i'm cto so i get to do more <laughs> more coding awesome what did you learn through that period um well you were kind of because there's a lot of different tech involved yeah um so you, you definitely weren't on that track where you you find a language and then just kind of like run with it right it seems a little bit more like entrepreneurial or like or business minded, what did you learn as you were kind of like jumping around languages um, about yourself, about the people you were working for, et cetera? It took me a long time to get off of PHP because it was like, this is working. Like, why would I change? Yeah. Like, it's working really well. I know it really well. I can, I'm really fast with it. Um, and, but uh, one of my employees convinced me to try Ruby and I fell in love with it. And that sort of taught me hold on a minute, you know, like it's fine. You can actually transfer a lot of those skills. Like I transferred a lot of the skills I had with PHP. I became really good at debugging because PHP wasn't very easy to debug. (laughs) And so, but I still had to ship software. So I actually, that's one of my superpowers now is like, if there's a problem, I can probably find it (laughs) because I've felt the pain. (laughs) And, uh, but Doing Ruby made me a better PHP programmer. Interesting. And then later when I learned Objective-C, then that made me a better Ruby developer. Um, so like, you know, and then when I started doing a lot more JavaScript, then that made me better at all the things that I'd done before. Um, it It's like, it's it's additive. It's not it's not a substitution in my opinion. It's like, you're, you're not throwing away all of that knowledge that you had, maybe specific APIs and things like that, but there's, there's a ton of knowledge. So it made me much more open to change. And that was, that was a big thing because we were doing Ember in early 2015. We were doing a lot of Ember and, um, wow. it was sort of backed into react because when, <clears throat> when we decided to do react native and we said, well, there's no point in doing Ember in react native. That doesn't make any sense at all. Let's just switch everything over to react. Uh, so, um, but yeah, way more open to that sort of change, uh, because of that experience. Yeah. What brought you to, to Ember then? What was that, that transition? Ember was really hot with Ruby on Rails developers back then. Uh, and the integration between Ember and Ruby on Rails was better than anything we'd seen before. React wasn't really on the scene yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there were, there were things like Backbone and, and other, you know, other options, uh, certainly Angular. Um, but Angular really didn't have the the integration with Ruby on Rails that that Ember did. So for us, uh, Ember was was a more natural thing. And then we had clients for it. And that's what it drives a lot of things is like, sure, I'd love to do Elm, but nobody's called me up and said, hey, I'd like you to do some Elm. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever try to convince a client to uh, use something that you haven't uh, used, but 
but feel like might be a good fit. <laughs> I, I, I might yeah. be outing you with this question, but <laughs> no, it's it, it's funny because basically from day one, <laughs> it's like, hey, uh, I'd like to build this thing, and I'm like, yeah, let's use PHP. I don't know how to use it, but I, let's use PHP, and then I buy a book, and then you know, uh, switching clients over to Rails. Never done it before. Seems cool. Like I, I built like my own website in Rails, so I knew at least a little bit about it. And then just off to the races. And same thing with the the, the mobile apps. I, I've done it all my career, really. Uh, switching technology and then convincing the client that it's a good idea. Usually it's paid off. In a few cases, it's it's actually just come back and, and really bitten me. For example, uh, PhoneGap, uh, Cordova. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, someone came to me and said, I need a mobile app. This was when mobile apps were like like brand new and, and really taken off. And I said, oh, I... I can do PhoneGap. Like I can build you an app in PhoneGap. And we built the app and um, I think it was using jQuery mobile. And it was like, it was so atrocious. The the user experience was so bad, <laughs> especially on those early iPhones yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And it was like, and we never were able to get that thing onto the app store. It never worked. We got it onto Google Play. And so there, it was on Google Play for a while. Didn't make much money. Um I felt kind of bad because I had convinced uh, one of the clients to, to go with this and it really wasn't a good choice. Now, at that point, had you uh, had you had experience with, um, was it RubyMotion? Did it exist yet? Did not exist yet. Yeah, that was prior to that. Uh, so when RubyMotion came out, I had another client come to me and say, I need a mobile app. And I said, hey, we can do it in RubyMotion. <laughs> <laughs> Never having done it before. And that's when I built my first really major open source library uh, that I'd ever built um, because I started learning the Cocoa Touch APIs, which are really long method names and things like that. And I said, screw this. I need to have, remember, I had a lot of more junior intermediate level developers. I didn't have a lot of seniors. I'm like, I have to have something that my juniors and intermediates can use. So I built a library called ProMotion, uh, which now Apple has an Zero API promotion. called ProMotion, but <laughs> but uh, ProMotion, and it, it basically changed, you know, from like like view controller dot uh, push view controller with animation or something like that to um, to just open. You just t- type in open whatever screen, and it would just load it up. Very similar, actually, to some of the navigation libraries you see today. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of brand new, and that got onto the front page of Hacker News, and you know, got a whole bunch of stars. Like, and, and I was really pumped. So that's kind of how I got into open source. You seem to have this kind of fearless attitude about <laughs> <laughs> about uh, wanting to go into something and then just figuring it out along the way. Is that um, something that you recommend to people? Is this kind of just a part of your personality, and you wouldn't recommend it to people? <laughs> Yeah, that's a hard question to answer. Uh, I wouldn't say it's fearless, <laughs> but uh, but certainly, uh, I don't know, uh, stupid sometimes. I don't know. It, it, but I, I I do. It is a part of my personality. It is something that I've done my my whole career. Um, just kind of diving into things and learning them, and and um, I, I think you sort of need you do need that as an entrepreneur. You can't be so like like careful and like engineers you know working for bigger companies it probably works better like i don't know if i would do very well at a really large company um because i have such kind of a like this pioneering spirit i I don't know just i like i like to be 
learning and, and pushing myself and um, trying new things. Um, at the same time, now that I'm CTO and I'm and I'm in charge of like you know what is it, fourteen full time developers and a bunch of contractors, like. I, I really can't be doing that all the time. Like we need to ship software. And so I've learned actually to dial that back with my team. I used to just be like, Hey, everybody, we're doing rails now. Yeah. And, and like, literally that's what we would do. And just like that. Um, now I'm much better about getting feedback and iterating and, you know, kind of like making those types of changes. Um, but yeah, it's part of my personality as far as recommending it. I think it really depends on your position. Like if you're if you're being an entrepreneur, I think that you do need a little bit more of that. There's a limit. Like if you are like, we're gonna do this really out there thing, you could be spinning your wheels a little too much. Um, you know, where traveling a little more of a well-known path. Like pick your battles. Like if you're starting a brand new business and there's other things that are that are risks, maybe focus on those first. Cool. That's great advice. Um, so I want to. Now go back talking about talking about you and infinite red. Um, so many companies have a strategy for kind of marketing their, their consultancy or product that is kind of like well-worn, which is to do some sponsorships, do some open source, um, have a content strategy and whatnot. Um, very rarely do I see them also doing a conference. <laughs> and so I wanted to talk with you a little bit about what inspired uh, Chain React and what it means to you. Yeah, no, that that's a great question, Michael. I, I, I think, uh, well, we had been doing React Native. Uh, we sort of, you know, backed into React, but we were doing mostly React Native. And um, about a year into it, I, I asked on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, Hey, does anybody know of a React Native specific conference that I can send my engineers to? And I just got like crickets, like nobody, nobody answered. There was usually you get a few, but (laughs) nothing. And so um, I was, I just thought about that for a while. And then I was like, I went to my, my business partners and I said, why don't we do a conference? Like, why don't we put on a conference, which is kind of ridiculous for the size of company we are, but, but, um, you know, we crunched some numbers and it looked like if, if we could just get, like, if we could hold it at, in Portland where most of our team was, then it would be a little easier logistically. Um, and if we could, uh, get like 160, 170 attendees, then we would probably break even somewhere in that range that that number actually ended up being wildly off, but it didn't matter. <laughs> um, and, uh, so we, we said, okay, like, let's, let's try this. And we actually announced it. Um, and we put our design team working on, you know, coming up with some really cool, a cool website and some cool graphics. Um, Gant Laborde, uh, who is uh, awesome. He works on, you know, uh, at Infinite Red. He, um, he kind of reached out to all of his contacts cause he's, he's been on, you know, he spoke at a lot of different con- conferences. Um, and, uh, it was just like, th- like pieces just sort of fell into place. It was a lot of hard work, but it was also like things were moving forward. Uh, we had a new project coordinator, uh, Shawnee Danner, who put a lot of time into it. And um, we uh, we then secured uh, the, the armory, which is a really cool place, uh, over 100 years old in the Pearl District of Portland, mm-hmm. and a really amazing venue. And uh, they, you know, their staff was amazing helping us out. We flew a couple of employees up here to Portland to help us pick out caterers. <laughs> that was that was they really loved that being foodies, and they 
they uh they got to like sample all the different caterers and and pick out the best one who we've used now for two and it's going to be the third year uh so we did it and it was like nerve-wracking and like you know we, we we had enough people uh starting to to sign up uh purchasing tickets and it was just amazing to watch those ticket sales roll in something we'd never done before uh you know we're a consultancy we're not a, a product company or an event company um but people wanted to hear about react native and we had some good speakers uh, luckily facebook you know sent a speaker or two and and so we were able to uh to get that sort of momentum and we did the conference in 2017 and it was just like unbelievable the the experience was amazing one of the highlights of my life it was like incredible to stand up there in front of everybody and and in you know kind of welcome everybody and then meeting everybody and uh having all these amazing speakers and you know the venue and everything it was just it was awesome and the team i think it bound our team together too it was one of those things where like the team like the, the team generally you know doesn't have a chance to like share like they're they're working on their individual projects and stuff but being able to share in something very tangible that they that they helped create and like the the enthusiasm around that it was like it was awesome. It's got to feel really exciting, too, because React was still pretty new at that time. I mean, very new at that time. Yes. And to be at a conference that's focusing on this very specific niche of React and to be able to kind of have that opportunity to be seen as leaders in that, I mean, that's got to feel great. That was a big thing. Now, we were we were very careful in the first version of, of Chain React to not kind of like make it all about Infinite Red. Um, we, we wanted to be careful about that. Uh, the second year we, we did a little more promotion, just kind of like, Hey, you know, we're here. <laughs> this is what we do. <laughs> um, it still was great, uh, from a standpoint of, you know, we, we did get some leads from the conference itself, but also just, just like, like credibility in the community and stuff like that. Like, Oh yeah, we know you because of chain react. Um, and we're still getting, you know, uh, sort of long tail, uh, you know, benefit from from the first chain react i i just talked to a company that found out about us then um and they want us to do some work so it's a long-term play uh, i think in the end we ended up more or less breaking even even though we sold you know closer to 400 tickets um and then the next year we sold out at around 500 tickets and this year we're on track to sell out again at around 500 um we we have discussed internally about moving it somewhere with a you know a little bigger venue because we're about tapped out at the armory but we love that space so much and it's very kind of cozy and we do a lot of work to like like i had specific people like walking around if you see someone in the corner like standing like awkwardly like go talk to them introduce them to someone else whatever um and the the, the venue kind of eliminates a lot of that because it kind of pushes everybody into the middle uh and and worked out really well that way um, and we had people telling us that it was the best conference they'd ever been to people telling us, you know, it was amazing considering it was, a, you know, the first time we'd ever done one, uh, just a lot of positive reinforcement. And we learned a lot of stuff too, uh, that, that we were able to apply to future ones. Nice. So this year for 20, 
19 this will be your third year doing the conference yeah yeah it'll be our third year we're gonna stay at the armory um we're this this year we're last year we introduced some workshops now we're doing a bunch of workshops and those have been really popular a ton of workshops happening um at the benson hotel not too far from the venue uh so that's a big change but otherwise uh pretty similar nice nice um what are some of the things that you learned putting on a conference about conferences because i think there's a lot you know if you're just a conference goer it's kind of this thing that just happens and everything kind of works out but putting one on i'm sure that you were exposed to a lot of details that maybe you didn't anticipate which which were some of those complications the biggest complications well i think the thing that struck me the most was looking at the calendar and realizing that from like january to july when we held the conference there was stuff going on every week in preparation it, there was no there were no weeks off it wasn't like you do everything in the last couple months or something it was like every week there's something some deliverable that needs to happen you know we need to put out this tweet we've got uh graphics that we need to create for the speakers uh so-and-so speaker has not confirmed yet we need to go check in with them by the way that's another thing we learned speakers are horrible <laughs> horrible about confirming things <laughs> they, they really don't like getting uh pinned down but but shawnee did a great job of staying after them and making sure that we got you know everything in place beforehand um love the speakers but man they're not very good at that um and uh yeah those were kind of the the big things it's a lot of work there's a lot that goes into it yeah um but it's also it was also much more of a positive experience than i even anticipated it was much more of like a a highlight of the year than i expected mm -hmm. it to be mm -hmm. what are you looking forward to um in 2019 how will it be different or better or more exciting yeah so personally i i will be giving a talk this time oh, nice. uh unlike the other two so uh i have i have some stuff up my sleeve uh that i that I'm not ready to announce yet but hopefully it'll be kind of fun to to announce at chain react in 2019 and uh so that'll be different for me um otherwise just bringing a lot more workshops like i mentioned before that's going to be cool uh having a lot more people just involved in the conference in the days before prior um and then otherwise just wanting to make sure that we keep that consistent high quality that we did the yeah. previous two years when you sort of feel like this this reduction in energy the third year like the first year like it's really energetic the second year you're like really focused on making sure that it, you replicate that and the third year is like oh we, we kind of know what to expect but you don't want to you don't want to back off on that energy so yeah yeah that's that's the kind of the big thing is let's make sure we still still have that great conference feel yeah yeah um do you have the some of the speakers announced yet who's who's going to be showing up this year yeah so we do have some uh some of the speakers announced already uh some are returning like uh brent batney from expo is coming back he was there the first year um and I don't think he was there yesterday or last year, uh, but he is coming back. Um, we have Trevor Brindle uh, from Modus Create. He's going to be speaking as well. Kenza Araki. Uh, and then uh, we're going to be announcing pretty soon um, that Leland Richardson, who works for Google now, he used to work for Airbnb uh, when they were doing React Native, uh, but he's going to be talking at Chain React. I'm actually really interested to see what he's going to talk about because 
Google doesn't use React Native internally yeah. that I know of. <laughs> oh man, that'll be really interesting. Yeah, he's always been kind of like on the forefront of, um, you know, some React Native stuff. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to hear what he has to talk about. Yeah, yeah, totally. That that's going to be an interesting one. Uh, see if if they're doing some stuff with React Native at Google. That's cool. Awesome. So where can uh, people find out more about uh, the conference, Chain React, uh, Infinite Red, and yourself? Yeah. So. Uh, infinite.red is our domain name and you can do infinite.red forward slash chain react conf, uh, to get to the conference. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter, uh, twitter.com forward slash Jamin Holmgren. And, um, yeah, so you can find a lot more about me there. Also jaminholmgren.com. I did just get jamin.dev. Nice. Uh, so <laughs> that's exciting. Nice. I just picked up chan.dev. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, it's one of those things like when you're before you do it, you're sort of not that excited about it. You're like, oh, well, who cares about .dev? Like, is that a big deal? But then you get it and you're like, oh, that, that was actually kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Had the same experience. And yeah, it's like some of them too are like, I think I had to pay like the, like a premium fee, not like a crazy one, but like, yeah, it's for, for Chan. Yeah. Yeah. Cause four no letters, kidding. I think. Oh, that's why. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Jamin wasn't, uh, I guess because it's five. So. Yeah. It's that whole domain thing is a racket right now. <laughs> it totally is. <laughs> <laughs> they just have us right where we, right where they want us. Artificial scarcity. It's, it's great. Totally. Um, awesome. Is there anything else that you want to tell us about or, uh, leave us with today? Yeah, I, I think uh, I just I'm, I'm really happy to be on your podcast here, Michael. I uh, really appreciate you having me on. Um, it was really fun to talk with you. We didn't get a chance to go over too much of the similarities we had uh, with our with our backgrounds, but uh, maybe we'll get a chance to do that over over coffee sometime or yeah. or, or lunch. Well, I always like having repeat guests, so. Maybe I'm happy to come back. <laughs> dive into it then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We can do that. Yeah, kind of teasing something in the future there. Um, and otherwise, uh, really, you know, if people have questions or feedback or whatever, jump on Twitter. My my DMs are open, or you can just tweet to me. Uh, I'm really really happy to be in the conversation uh, about you know React Native, Chain React, um, Ignite. Uh, we have a we have a desktop app called Reactatron, which which is pretty cool and and uh, is approaching 10,000 stars now on GitHub. So awesome. Uh, if you have questions about that, feel free to, to hit me up there. And um, yeah, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty optimistic guy. I, I also love to connect with people, kind of a kind of an extrovert. So feel free to hit me up. Yeah, well, Jamin, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you telling us about the stuff you're working on uh, and your story of how you got there and the story of Chain React. Um, I hope that we'll all be able to see each other and hang out at, at Chain React this year. It sounds like it's going to be a blast. Awesome. Yeah, totally. Likewise, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being here. Before you go, one thing that I think is so important to remember from this conversation with Jamin is that you have to trust yourself. Sometimes you might have a crazy idea that just sticks with you and you have to see it through. It won't always end up great, but you will always learn something from it. So be brave. We're counting on you. This episode of React Podcast was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson at Spec FM. 
SpecFM has the best podcasts for designers and developers to level up. Visit spec.fm to find another show that will help you on your journey. Reviews of this show on iTunes and the like really do help us help other people level up in their careers. So if you like the show, consider leaving a review. If you want to chat, hit us up on Twitter at React Podcast. I'm at Chantastic. Or on Spectrum, spectrum.chat slash specfm slash React Podcast. And finally, if in May you want to learn more about React for free, visit reactpodcast.com slash newsletter to learn about the free weekly workshops we'll be doing in May. That's all for this episode. We'll be in your ears again next week. Thank you.